This is The Craft of Governance, a podcast providing insight into the boardroom. Welcome to the Director's Academy podcast series focused on the craft of governance sponsored by Allegis Partners. I'm Keith Meyer, the president of the Academy and one of the founding uh, members of the Academy. During this series of podcasts, we will invite a number of our faculty uh, on the Academy to share their perspectives and insights on uh, the craft of governance and board leadership. Uh, today's topic is leading the board through a crisis, and we're pleased to have with us Bob Glauber. Bob is uh, currently a lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. He served as chairman and CEO of what was formerly NASD, now FINRA. He's also been an undersecretary of Treasury uh, for Finance and a long-standing professor at the University of Harvard's Business School. He's been a, a director in numerous public company uh, boards, including Northeast Bank, uh, Excel Group, Moody's, and Freddie Mac, and as well as an international board, Pioneer Global Asset Management. Bob is also a founding board member of the Directors Academy. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. Our discussion today, uh, I thought we would focus on uh, the financial crisis 10 years ago and the impact of the crisis on one of the boards you were leading at the time, which was a global property and casualty insurance and reinsurance company. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the circumstances uh, inside the company that were, that were happening uh, leading up to the financial crisis as sort of a context for uh, what we're going to follow with? Sure. Uh, the seeds of, of this company's crisis were sown well before the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, insurance reinsurance uh, is a business that's cyclical, profitable in, in, in good parts of the cycle, and much less profitable at other times. Quite naturally, this company was uh, looking for diversification into other related insurance markets beyond the property casualty business that we were in. 2000s offered an attractive, or what seemed to be attractive, new playing field. Uh, the insurance of financial instruments, collateralized debt obligations, collateralized loan obligations, uh, mortgage-backed securities, uh, credit default swaps. All very risky, all very new, all very exciting, uh, and uh, an attractive product for insurance. Pressed by our chairman at that time, uh, we entered this new financial products insurance business. Quite frankly, I don't think the board, in retrospect, appreciated just how much risk we were taking on and really investigated it as fully, in retrospect, as we, we should have. So as the financial crisis mounted, losses piled up, uh, and we did a very sensible thing. We spun off this business into a new separate uh, company, but we couldn't spin it off completely. We had to offer a backup guarantee. So it was sort of off our balance sheet, but we had a residual safety net under it. And during this period, uh, we were facing up to, but not completely, a very interesting conflict in governance. Uh, we had a CEO. Uh, we had what we described as a non-executive chairman, uh, but we had a non-executive chairman who often acted as much like an executive chairman. So we came very close to having two CEOs. Uh, and this was during the lead up to the financial this crisis? This was in the 2000s. Right. This was in the period four or five years leading up to the financial crisis. But during that time uh, of the financial crisis, we also had this, this challenge. 
So expanding portfolio of businesses, uh, governance challenges uh, between the chairman and the, and the CEO. Was there a spark or a moment when the board decided to take action, Bob, or do something differently than uh, the normal course would have presented itself? Well, I think the answer is yes. Uh, as the uh, crisis mounted, as the losses uh, in the spinoff mounted and our backup guarantee became more meaningful, uh, we knew we had to deal first with the governance issue, the chairman CEO issue, but at the same time, we had to find a new CEO. Uh, and so we focused mostly in 2007 uh, on finding a new CEO on a search process, which is a time-consuming and challenging process, and frankly, uh, probably spent more time on that and less time on concerns about the challenges in this spinoff and our backup guarantee. So we arrived at time of the real crisis in 2008 with a very new CEO candidate, person we had attracted, but without any great sense of urgency. Uh, so he entered the picture right before the financial crisis? Well, he entered the picture, or we planned for him to enter the picture, uh, in late spring of 2008. Uh, as, our, as the financial crisis itself accelerated, and in particular, our losses in this spinoff uh, accelerated. Uh, we accelerated his onboarding so that instead of starting in May of 2008, he started in March and started in full crisis mode. Uh, had to deal with regulators, had to deal with rating agencies. Uh, fortunately, he was a really very good crisis manager, and as I say, we just adopted crisis mode. Uh, weekly board calls, basically an understanding that we were facing a serious problem, but frankly, in retrospect again, no sense of just how serious a problem and how low things could go. But to be perfectly honest, in 2008, we were in pretty good company with a lot of other firms uh, who failed to appreciate just how serious this financial crisis could become. How did your relationship with the new CEO change relative to the prior chairman and CEO as it relates to communication, transparency, flow of information? Is there a dramatic change that's going on right now, Bob, at that point? Oh, I, I think the answer is yes. I actually had gotten to know him pretty well. I had led the uh, committee uh, that did the search for a new CEO, uh, but I got to know him a lot better <laughs> during this period. Uh, we ended up talking three to five times a week. I mean, we were in not continuous contact, pretty close. Uh, we established standard bi-weekly board calls uh, to keep the board up to date. We formed a special committee to deal with the spinoff and our backup guarantee to the spinoff because we had to find some way of tearing apart that backup guarantee. Uh, but that wasn't something just for us to do and the spinoff. We had to deal with the regulators, too, because they were looking to that backup guarantee. Uh, so we really did all the things you do in a crisis. Uh, Within six months uh, of the new CEO's arrival, what's the state of affairs inside of uh, the company and inside of the boardroom? Well, the state of affairs is that we relied heavily on, as you'd expect, a bunch of committees that are standing. Uh, the audit committee, because we had to put out 10Ks during this period and they had to fully disclose uh, all the, the elements of, of the 
crisis that we were facing. Uh, our finance committee was very active, and we had set up this special committee to deal with the spinoff and negotiate changes in those terms and the backup guarantee. Because the liability and exposure of the spinoff could effectively have taken the whole company under? Absolutely correct. We had basically what we call in insurance a tail guarantee. Uh, and if the spinoff had gone down, we had to step up and make the investors in it whole. So, and that could have probably taken us down. So we focused through these committees on, on what is clearly what was our major conflict, our major uh, challenge. We also basically narrowed our business model. We got out of and finally succeeded in getting out of the financial guarantee business uh, and got back to property casualty insurance. What we didn't realize is, is just how far this could go down. By December of 2008, our stock was selling in the low single digits. Uh, we were. What was the peak before the decline? Well, the peak it was very early in the 2000s. The peak was about $92. So you lost over 90% of the shareholder value. You lost over 90% of the shareholder value. Uh, and we're days away from bankruptcy. Uh, it was very, very close. I think that if we had received a decent offer uh, at that time, we would have been very happy to take it. We didn't. No one was coming to the table with any uh, options. Now, again, it was a period of crisis, and nobody was going around <laughs> spending a lot of money. But uh, we were clearly in crisis, and everybody knew it, and, and nobody came. So as you came up to this January 2009 board meeting, was it a, sort of a seminal moment where the board and, and the management team had to decide, is this an ongoing business, or is this something else? I mean, did you have sort of that kind of a, a moment, or was it? Oh, absolutely. We had to figure out how to get through the crisis, and we were very close to the edge. In some sense, the decision was what to do to try and sustain the company, and we knew some of the things we had to do, but it, again, turned out to be a bigger challenge than I think any of us had been prepared for, just as the financial crisis was for most financial firms. What we had to do, first of all, uh, is get ourselves a more functional board structure and so we then had a separate chairman and CEO where the chairman didn't think he was a CEO. Uh, you being the chairman. I was the chairman. <laughs> I didn't think of myself as a CEO with good reason. I could not have run the company. Uh, I had no illusions. Uh, but we also then had to articulate a more satisfactory, stable, long-term strategy, uh, which basically had us going back to the basics property and casualty. That said, we had serious strategic challenges. Even then, the insurance industry was consolidating, and while we were large, we were well short of very large, and the question always was, would we be large enough in the long run to sustain ourselves? Uh, it was apparent even then that that was a question. Uh, and it became so over the next five or six years, even more clear. Part of what made it difficult was that new capital was entering the insurance business, or particularly the reinsurance business, capital coming from pension funds. Founded, Alternative sources. That's right. Yeah. Found it very attractive to invest in insurance, uh, particularly reinsurance. 
because it's a risk that is effectively uncorrelated with the other risks they had. So with this entry of lots more capital, margins got depressed even in good up markets, and this was going to be an ongoing challenge, as it has proven to be. So uh, we had to establish a viable long-term strategy focused on things we knew how to do. We had the benefit of a global platform and a very well-accepted name. Um, but again, there was an issue of scale. Could we write enough business off this global platform to justify the cost of the global platform? You talked a little bit about the change in the company leadership right before the financial crisis. <clears throat> Did you also have to make any changes to the board and the board's composition? And if so, how did you do that? It's a fair question. Uh, <clears throat> and we did have to make some changes. Uh, we really did need to refresh the board. Uh, there were a number of members who had been on for a very long period of time. And board refreshment is never an easy process. Uh, we went and relied on essentially a, a peer review process uh, in which we got an outside facilitator to come in and interview separately, privately each of the board members and have them evaluate their peers. And on the basis of that information that was brought to the chairman, or the lead director at that time, uh, whose responsibility it was to go and talk to his colleagues, and particularly the ones that, that the rest of the board felt really should face retirement, uh, and have that discussion. It was not an easy discussion, but I think it was necessary. It was easier to do because it was a peer process. Uh, and I think everybody respected their peers. And we actually, out of a, a board of a probably 12, 13, uh, we shed three, three board members. And that was the first time you'd done anything like that in the board room? That was the first time we had <laughs> done it. First time. Uh, it's become a practice much more broadly engaged in now. Uh, it was, at that time, not much done. And I think it was very effective. Uh, it, it first focused our attention on the right places, and second, it provided some credibility when the, the lead director had to go and talk to his colleagues uh, about a very, very difficult decision. I'm glad we did it. Uh, we then added some new board members to replace them and emerged, I think, as a much stronger board. Take us forward from the precipice. What then happened inside of the company and lead us you know, through the next phase of uh, the well, future of the company? The next phase was the recovery from the financial crisis. The industry has recovered, and, and we did too. Our, our stock went from the low single digits up uh, to the 40, 40 to 50 range. Uh, so the stock price recovered uh, very dramatically. Uh, but again, we faced this challenge of scale uh, in a global business that was consolidating. Uh, we understood that. We were fully aware. We were open to find uh, acquisitions to increase our scale. We found one acquisition, which was a very good one, uh, did increase our scale. Uh, but ironically, at the same time we were doing this, a number of our larger competitors were doing the same thing. So that while we <laughs> In relative the, terms, you were still. Well, that's it. We were moving the ball down the scale. field, but somebody moved the goalposts. <laughs> Uh, and so we continued to face uh, this question of scale uh, and whether or not we would have uh, enough business uh, to make it cost effective to run the large platform, the global platform uh, that we were running. Uh, 
frankly, after facing this for three or four years, I think it became increasingly apparent uh, that it was going to be hard to get to that necessary scale. Uh, and we began to entertain the notion of a merger partner. Uh, ultimately, in fact, uh, in the last year, uh, we sold the company to an even larger uh, global insurer, reinsurer. And I think it was the right decision. Sale was made at a very fair price. I think our shareholders were very well treated. How did the relationship of the board and the CEO change over time after the crisis, Bob? Uh, were there any sort of uh, just the way you're, you continue to be chair for a while, you then were succeeded by another chair. Just lead us through the governance and you know, both from the CEO and the board's perspective, how that changed over time. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I think we had a... Because uh, that was an issue before the crisis. It was a big issue before the crisis. And again, the, the issue before the crisis, I think, was competing CEOs. Uh, we never had that after the crisis. I mean, we well understood that you have to have only one CEO. There is a, a sort of an ironic twist to this. Uh, when we hired the new uh, CEO, fresh from the experience of this confusion, we said, we want you to be CEO and chairman both. I was at that point lead director. And after about nine months, he came to me and said, listen, I know I'm scheduled in the next six months to become chairman as well. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I have my hands full running this company. Uh, I don't want to run the board, too. We're in a crisis environment. I have a full-time job just being CEO. The chairman role should be reserved for someone else. For someone else. I think because he and I had uh, developed a, a very good relationship of trust, uh, that he felt comfortable giving the chairman's job over to someone else. I mean, clearly, every CEO has to have a good relationship with his chairman or her chairman. Uh, and trust him or her. Uh, I think we had that trust. Uh, he was willing to do it, but there's a certain irony that we ended up with a structure that many of us felt was, you know, a basis for our previous problems of having this separation between chairman and CEO. Do you think without the crisis, the CEO would have assumed the chairman role? I Within think, a year or something? I think he well may have. Uh, now, it's true even then, there was a growing feeling that you ought to separate those two right. roles. I suspect he would have. I think two factors made him do what he did. The first was that he faced a crisis with his hands full. Uh, and the second is, I think, as I said, we developed a real sense of trust uh, between the CEO and, and myself. And, and he was willing to say, I trust you in managing the board. Had you ever been in a crisis environment Bob, with a leadership role, either as CEO or as a board leader, or was this your first time with that responsibility in a crisis like we saw 10 years ago? Well, I, I had <laughs> been in crises, but without the leadership role, I, I was a member of the board of Freddie Mac uh, when it actually did go into bankruptcy. Uh, but I didn't have a leadership role on it. I was one of the board, and, and to be fair, that was an example of an even different structure of a public-private corporation that many people believe was doomed by its structure to failure. Uh, so I never really had the leadership uh, challenges in a crisis that I did here. But that was almost ongoing at the same time. It was all in due parallel. to the financial crisis, <laughs> absolutely. And how was your, uh, you were also on the Moody's board, and that yeah. was being disrupted at the same time as well. Well, it was. Uh, I mean, Moody's was blamed by many people as a major uh, contributor 
uh, to the financial crisis, its failure to rate some of these securities correctly. Uh, so I enjoyed a number of exposures uh, to the financial crisis. Simultaneously uh, at the same ratcheting time. up in intensity. All at the same time, although this was the one where I really did have leadership responsibility. Uh, and that's different. Uh, you really do have to, to focus in a way when you have leadership responsibility that you don't when you're a member of a colleague on in a board. So you felt a lot of personal ownership for the ultimate future of this company, this insurance company at the time. Well, I did. I mean, first of all, I, had, I believe we had attracted a very good CEO. Uh, and I had, in fact, because I underestimated the severity of the crisis, uh, I think encouraged him to underestimate <laughs> what turned out to be the severity of the crisis. So I felt a lot of ownership, personally with him uh, and with the company. Uh, I had been a part of this board for a good period of time. Uh, and. I thought it was a fine company and wanted it to survive, and, and clearly survival uh, was on the table. I mean, that was a major issue. So when you were in the boardroom, Bob, with uh, the CEO and your other fellow board members, and you were at a point of trying to decide if this was an ongoing viable entity, what was the discussion and the debate like? How personal did it get? Uh, for instance, did the CEO say that I'm here I'm fully in, we need to make this successful, or it, was there a sort of that personal kind of commitment that we can't let this go down, or was it more of a dispassionate, uh, we just need to see what the market's going to do, we have no idea if we're at the end of this crisis or just the beginning. Lead us through kind of mm -hmm. how the, the board dynamic and the conversations went when you were right there facing the big decision. Well, I think the, the board, and many of them had, uh, members had been on the board for a good period of time, uh, the board felt a, a real sense of pride about the company. Uh, it, it had established a reputation in the market. Uh, it had customers who really did trust the company and want to do business with the company. Uh, and that was crucial. We had a number of, of our customers coming to us and saying, we want to stick with you. We understand you are under immense pressure, but we don't want to abandon you because we really do believe in you and you've treated us well, and we want you to stay in business. So that's a significant factor in your decision to think about this as something, should we continue to try to make this, pull this forward and make it successful? Yeah, I th it's immensely significant. And when you sell financial services, uh, so much of them are similar to the services being sold by your competitors. And so basically it's your relationship with your customers and the trust your customers have in you. So that was a material factor in sort of the overall perspective of the board on continuing to move forward and try to save the company? Absolutely material. The second material factor uh, was the CEO. We had a CEO in place that we trusted and had become very enthusiastic about the company and clearly invested an immense amount of time and effort uh, and didn't want to see this fail. So you saw a true deep commitment to make the making the company successful from the CEO going Yeah, forward. we had a good CEO with deep commitment and we had a customer base that wanted us to stay in business. And we were able to convince the regulators that we were viable, which in a regulated business is very important. And we were able to convince the rating agencies that we were viable. We were in fact cut uh, in our rating uh, by a notch, um, 
but despite that, uh, our customers were willing to stay with us. Mm -hmm. We were able to get ourselves a backup guarantee uh, to make it easier for our customers. Uh, but without the support of our, our customers and without a good CEO in place, I think there wouldn't have been a lot of appetite to try and resist. How did your personal leadership of the board change after the crisis as it was more steady state and the company began to not only survive but started to recover and come back? Did you modulate your leadership style of the board or did it change in any way? Sure. I mean, first of all, the, the, the frequency of meetings, the intensity of the meetings uh, changed over time. And the focus did, too. I mean, we went back to the, the proper focus of a board of first getting the strategy right from a uh, heritage of not getting the strategy right, uh, and second, worrying about personnel, uh, beginning to groom successors all the way up to, to the CEO, putting more responsibility uh, on our compensation committee, which we made a compensation and uh, executive development uh, committee. Uh, and so now doing the things that a board should constantly focus on uh, were major challenges for us during this period, particularly the strategic uh, challenge, uh, and less on the crisis kinds of things you do just to keep your head above water. So the whole tenor of the meetings changed, the focus of the meetings changed, and my relationship with the board changed. I mean, I, I had myriad side conversations with individual board members during the crisis, uh, both to retain their support and confidence and to get the wisdom that they could bring to these ongoing problems that we had. So that frequency went down over time. So then you developed your own successor who uh, stepped in to lead the board. You stayed on the board as a, as a director. Well, I did. Uh, I, my own feeling was I had been chairman or lead director for eight or nine years at that point, and I think there should be refreshment at that level, too. Uh, so I encouraged the board uh, to look to, for another chairman. Uh, I also, at that point, was think 75 years old. We had at one time had a retirement age which we had abandoned uh, and used this peer review process to determine when people want to retire. Uh, the board came to me and said, okay, uh, we'll support the notion of a new chairman, but we think you should stay on the board. I remember going to the person that we decided is the new chairman and asking, do you really want this? <laughs> this can be a dangerous relationship. It's very easy for a former chairman to be sitting there and saying, well, I suppose this is right, but I remember when I was chairman, I never would have done it Like this a way. former CEO staying on the board and it's, doing the same. I mean, that's really a dangerous <laughs> situation, I think. But this can be, too. And so we, we fully ventilated this. Uh, and everybody felt comfortable with it. Uh, I was uh, ultimately felt comfortable with it and stayed on the board and stayed on the board for the next three or four years until we sold it. Given the commitment of the board and the leadership to the company during and after the financial crisis, what was the process to begin to think about selling the company and sort of walking away with a, you know, a, another party, you know, basically sure. taking over the company and moving it forward? I, I assume that was probably a, a, a thoughtful, lengthy process. We faced this real challenge of, of scale and size. Uh, we knew it for a long time. Once we got our head above water in the financial crisis, uh, we knew uh, that we had to do something about our scale. 
given that we were a global company and just smaller than our global competitors. One solution to that, of course, is to buy something uh, and increase your scale. Uh, we had something of a challenge because for the first part of this period, not surprisingly, our stock was not highly valued and you'd like to use stock as part of the currency in any acquisition. Uh, our stock came back so we could. Uh, and the first step we took was that of acquisition and to try and increase our scale to deal with this challenge of, of, of size. Uh, as I said, what happened is, as we did it, uh, the goalposts got moved uh, and our competitors got bigger. Uh, and at some point, again, we were fully focused on the problem. Uh, we came increasingly to the, the notion that the right solution was to be a seller rather than a buyer. Uh, and we were an attractive property, so once it informally got out that, that we could be bought, and again, in the in a regulated business like insurance, there's less of a threat of hostile takeover than mm -hmm. there is in other businesses. Uh, in order to get approval, you have to go to myriad separate regulators. Uh, and that's not an attractive path for a hostile acquirer. So, so strategic so, buyer is much more likely option. Strategic buyer first is more likely, and second, a strategic buyer embraced by the seller right. uh, is more likely. So we weren't under threat of takeover, I think, that much. But we came to the conclusion that to be long-term really viable and a profitable property for our shareholders, scale had to be managed somehow. We were finding it harder to manage it by acquisition. Uh, so the other solution to scale is to sell. And as we increasingly felt that that was going to be a better solution. Uh, the industry, at least selected members of the industry, came to understand that. And we then looked like a very attractive acquisition. So within a 10-year span, from a near-death experience to a very successful outcome that created a significant shareholder value. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean. <laughs> When the base is two or three dollars a share, uh, <laughs> there's the, a lot of upside. The upside is dramatic, uh, and and it was. And, and I think, by any standard, uh, obvious one in this industry is price to book value. Uh, we we sold at a very f fair price, and our shareholders were were very well taken care of. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that during a earlier period there was a dramatic decline in the stock price. Right. Last question, Bob. Looking back at that stressful period, um, knowing what you know now, would you have led the board differently or done anything differently knowing what you know now if you could go back and do that over again? Well, I think <laughs> the answer is yes. Hindsight helps. Uh, first is we surely have, should have dealt with this governance problem we effectively two competing CEOs much more quickly than we did. That was allowed to fester for quite a while. It was allowed to fester for quite a while. And again, it wasn't that we were oblivious to it. It was very difficult to deal with. Uh, and we just didn't work hard enough and in a sufficiently intense way to deal with it. So in retrospect, clearly, we should have done that differently. Uh, the other is strategy again, which is at the heart of most of 
the important decisions a board makes for a corporation. Uh, we diversified, which wasn't bad, but we diversified into a business that basically we didn't understand as well as we did our core business. And this is always a challenge for a board. Uh, from a distance, things look much more attractive than they do when you get up close and you really understand them. Uh, it was a sensible diversification. It wasn't an insurance company going into farming or something like that. It was a related product. Uh, but it was a related product that really required a level of understanding different from property and casualty. And then we just had the bad luck of entering that business at just the wrong time. Well, thank you, Bob, for sharing your thoughts today with us. It's very, very uh, informative. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with an, our next edition of the Craft of Governance podcast series. Again, thanks to Allegis Partners for their support of the Academy and our mission to advance diversity into the boardroom. Thank you, Bob. To learn more about the Director's Academy, go to directorsacademy.com. <laughs>